<sighs> okay, here we go. Despite the fact that you can now buy an activity tracker for your toddler or for your pet, there is actually little evidence that shows that they can do anything to improve your fitness. And sure, it would be easy to blame these devices themselves, but I think there's more to the issue than simply inaccurate data. And that's what we're going to get into in this episode. My name is Brock Armstrong. Welcome to Second Wind Fitness. But before we get started... As you've probably noticed, this podcast is no longer in production, but there are so many people who are still listening to each episode and reaching out to me for advice and help and support that I've decided to keep the dream and this podcast alive, which means I'm paying a few maintenance fees out of my pocket. And I don't mean to make this sound like a woe is me kind of affair, because it is indeed a pleasure to have created something that is being appreciated. But... If you felt so inclined, you could go to brockarmstrong.com slash coffee to, yes, as it sounds, buy me a virtual coffee. And since coffee is easily my biggest vice, I'm what you would call a coffee snob, if you buy me a coffee, I can pay my hosting fees with all the coffee money that I save. So win-win situation here. So go to brockarmstrong.com slash coffee and help keep this podcast and my fancy coffee habit alive. That's brockarmstrong.com slash coffee. Cool-looking wristbands, rings, foot pods, and even hats that promise to measure your heart rate, your steps, your sleep, your calories burned, and even your stress levels can be seen on everyone these days. And yet, not to be a bummer, sedentarism, low fitness levels, obesity, and cardiovascular disease remain on the rise. So, what's going on here? Well, many sports researchers and coaches, myself included, believe that there is a disconnect between the fitness-wearing market and how people are using them, or perhaps more accurately, not using them. In a nutshell, passively recording all that data doesn't necessarily lead to any specific behavior changes, which, in the end, is the real goal, or at least it should be if we want to elicit any sustainable change in our movement and fitness habits. All right, here's one perplexing study among many of the negative studies that I read while prepping for this episode, and it was released in September of 2016. And it's called Effect of Wearable Technology Combined with a Lifestyle Intervention on Long-Term Weight Loss. Now, this study showed that people who didn't use fitness trackers at all lost more weight, eight pounds on average, than their smartwatch-wielding friends. And that was way back in 2016. So yeah, despite this and other damning evidence, years later, the fitness tracker industry is even bigger, with even more options to choose from, and it shows no sign of slowing down. So again, I ask, what the heck is going on here? Well, let's start with this. A business guru, for lack of a better term, I hate using that word guru, um, but his name is Peter Drucker, and he's often quoted as being the one who said, if you can't measure it, you can't improve it. 
Now, I'm sure you've heard that quote somewhere at a conference or read it on an inspirational poster or on Pinterest or something. It's a good quotable quote, and for the most part, I agree with it. Like any good soundbite, it's catchy, it's motivational, it seems logical, but also, as with many good soundbites, it's missing the meat of the message. Now, surely, if Mr. Drucker, or whoever it was that said it first, wasn't aiming for a pithy quote, he would have gone on to say something like, but once you measure it, you must put a plan in place to improve it. And that, my fitness-minded friends, is where I believe the biggest issue with the activity tracker craze begins. We have a dizzying array of ways to measure our movement and exercise in different colors and styles to match our outfits, but most of them provide little to no actual help or advice on ways to use or learn from those measurements that we are collecting. So, okay, let's go back to that scientific study that I, I mentioned earlier. So in it, all 471 participants were placed on a low-calorie diet. Not much of a surprise there. They were given a fitness plan to increase their activity, and they had group counseling sessions, which is kind of cool, actually. Then, after six months of that protocol, the researchers added in telephone counseling sessions, text message prompts to remind the participants to get moving, and some additional study materials. Now, at the same time as all that was going on, some participants were told to start self-monitoring and self-reporting their diet and their physical activity. Then, the other participants, which were labeled the Enhanced Intervention Group, were given a wearable fitness tracker and the device's accompanying website or software to monitor their diet and physical activity. So, again... Just in a nutshell, the only difference between these two groups was that one group self-reported and the other group used a fancy activity tracking device. So, sounds like a no-brainer, right? The fancy device group will succeed, right? Or at least the two groups will come out even because their interventions were basically the same? Well, not so fast. The study concluded that adding a wearable fitness device to their basic fitness and nutrition program resulted in less weight loss over two years. And the researchers concluded that, and I quote, devices that monitor and provide feedback on physical activity may not offer an advantage over standard behavioral weight loss approaches. Which, you know, honestly, to me, sounds a little disingenuous. I would have concluded that they actually seemed to sabotage the participants since they actually performed worse than the others. But then again, I'm not a scientific researcher, so what do I know? But this does help explain why in 2020, statistics show that one-third of people stop using fitness trackers within six months of buying them, and about half of all purchasers will eventually abandon their devices altogether. So it's clear, these things are not doing their job. But let me ask you this, what exactly is their job? Well, as an endurance coach, I've always relied on my athletes wearing some type of tracker so I can check up and check in on them. For example, if I have a runner that I'm coaching that doesn't use a tracker, I could tell her to go out and perform three 800 meter repeats in heart rate zone number four and sure, 
I can trust her to nail the workout and proceed as planned, but if she's wearing a fitness tracker, I can see that her pace may have dropped significantly since the last time we did that workout of a similar distance in that same heart rate zone, and that means I have some important information to work from. I can then make some educated guesses about her recovery state, her general health, her fitness level at the moment, and I can also take some time to delve deeper into her mood, her nutrition, or even her hydration state. The data is a wonderful stepping-off point for me to dive deeper. All that data is being used for something, not just collected, shared on social media, and then forgotten. Now I'm going to give you some actionable tips, but first we have to go pay our membership fees. Do you like to shop on Amazon.com and enjoy supporting this podcast? You do? Well, have I got a deal for you. If you start your Amazon shopping adventure by going to brockarmstrong.com slash Amazon, I will get a small percentage of the money that you spend. And the best part is that you don't pay anything extra. This all comes out of their pockets. Take that, Bezos. So next time you buy anything on Amazon, go to brockarmstrong.com slash Amazon and shop while also supporting this podcast. I truly thank you for being a listener and for your support. That's brockarmstrong.com slash Amazon. Okay, so we measured it. Now, how can we change it? Well, another fascinating study in Singapore aimed to investigate whether the use of activity trackers alone or in combination with cash incentives or charitable donations led to increases in physical activity and health improvements. So, at the beginning of the study, 201 people were given, well, nothing. Then, 203 people were given Fitbits to monitor their activity. Then 199 people were allowed to make charitable donations based on their activity levels, and 197 people were given actual cold, hard cash for their improvements. Kind of cool, right? So, unlike that first study that we talked about, there was no plan in place at all for this study. They weren't given a low-calorie diet or any sort of fitness plan. The incentives were simply tied to weekly steps and moderate to vigorous physical activity, or MVPA, which were measured in minutes per week. And the outcome, or the success, was measured in steps per week, with rewards being given for meeting 70,000 steps per week. And a few other health-related outcomes were thrown in as well, like body weight, blood pressure, and quality of life measures. Now, not surprisingly, the cash incentive was the most effective at increasing their moderate to vigorous physical activity minutes per week after six months, but that ended quickly and not all that unexpectedly as soon as the cash incentive was removed. And after 12 months of use, the Fitbit was deemed to have not affected overall health or fitness. And that was true even when it was combined with the cash incentive. So, once again, I arrive at that same conclusion that simply wearing a device, glancing at your steps, your heart rate, your distance, your generally wildly inaccurate calories burned, and whatever info you feel is pertinent to your lifestyle is simply not helpful. 
And unless you can find someone to actually pay you to exercise more, well, there's nothing sustainable about that model at all. So again, I say that there must be a way to use that data to form a plan of action. You must use that information to inform your fitness and your movement plan for the next day, the next week, the next month. You must have the ability and the desire to analyze that data and make future decisions around your overall fitness goals, similar to the way I described that I do for the athletes that I coach. Now, okay, (laughs) the elephant in the room. Do you need a coach? Is that what I'm saying? Well, sure, I could make this sound like a big commercial for myself or my fellow coaches, and I probably could easily do that right now. But you know what? It doesn't have to be that complicated. It is possible for anyone to build their own movement and exercise plan and make it one that they will really stick to. And this may come as a surprise to you, but it doesn't have to involve a device at all. I know, shocking, right? But it's true. We have been an active and fit species for a very long time now. I mean, the ancient Greeks managed to invent the Olympic Games without a Fitbit strapped to their toga, so what's wrong with us? But okay, how do we do this? Let's get down to brass tacks. How to use fitness trackers correctly. Well, okay, since we have already spent the money on them, we may as well use them right, right? And by use them, I mean use them correctly. So here are my tips to use your Fitbit, your Garmin, your Apple Watch, your Polar, your Suntu, your Misfit, your Move, your LG, Huawei, Withings, Samsung, or TomTom to create some real changes in your fitness and your wellness. And the first thing is to do some research on the biometric data that you plan to collect. You will be a lot more successful if you educate yourself. Simply knowing your heart rate, your hours of sleep, or calorie burn rate isn't enough. You have to know what those numbers mean and what they indicate. And not just what they mean for mice in a lab or the 20-year-old college males who were studied in some research study somewhere. Find out what they mean for you. And this, my friends, takes some curiosity, some self-experimentation, and maybe even a spreadsheet. As much as I hate them, it might be true. (laughs) Now, number two is to spend some time finding out what your baseline is. Now, before you jump into a training program, find out where you are at right now by simply going about your daily life and tracking it. Let's say you find out that you're walking, um, 5,500 steps per day right now. Well, then you know to not immediately aim for 10,000 steps per day. It's important to know your current fitness level so you can avoid the too much too soon trap and end up injured or sick or just demotivated. My next tip is to set a specific goal. Not just get in shape or lose weight or move more or something like that. Get super specific with your fitness goals. Goals like be able to cycle to work three times per week or be able to run 10 kilometers in less than 45 minutes or maybe even add a serving of vegetables to your lunch and walk for 15 minutes after dinner. Real tangible stuff. And make sure that you find a goal that means something to you, and it will be a lot easier to stay on course. Now, my next tip is to lay out a plan to reach that goal. 
Increasing distance or duration or intensity by about 10% per week is a great place to start, but you can also do some research online and reference some other training programs to draw some inspiration. Look at where you are and where you want to be, and then map out a reasonable plan to get there. And of course, be ready and open to change that timeline. Remember, life is not a race, so don't be in a hurry to get there. And my next tip is to monitor your data like a coach. Use your intuition and maybe your gut to interpret the data. If your heart rate's going up, but your pace is going down, it's probably time for a rest day or two. If your speed or your distance isn't getting any better, can you maybe pinpoint what's going wrong and try to approach your training from another angle or approach your day from another angle? Having that data means you can experiment on yourself and see the results of those experiments reflected in those numbers. And finally, don't be afraid to readjust your plan based on the data. You have the data, so use it to inform your plan in real time. If things are going well for you and you feel great, try accelerating the curve. Or if you're feeling tired and your numbers are dropping, perhaps you need to sketch out a new plan. I personally write my plans weekly so I can see the data before I lock in the workouts for the week. And this is the perfect way to use those devices we've been talking about for the power of good. Now finally, there's been a lot of promises lately to have a coach on your wrist or a coach in your pocket or something like that. And you know what? Things are coming along, but we don't quite have a coach on our wrist, well, quite yet. I would not advise outsourcing all that I've been talking about in this episode to some algorithm at this point. In the past couple of years, a few of the devices have started giving more advice, but in my experience, it's not quite accurate yet. I routinely ignore my Garmin's assertions that I need to take nine hours to recover from a workout that left me completely exhausted. I can tell from my own body that this 51-year-old deserves at least 24 to 48 hours of gentle movement for recovery. I also find myself talking some of the runners that I coach off a ledge when their devices predict that, based on their recent workouts, that they should be able to run a marathon a full half hour faster than their last PB or their personal best. I mean, it's nice to have a cheerleader on your wrist, but that's not realistic or helpful, really. On the other hand, the 24-7 tracking software in my Garmin Forerunner has been doing a very nice job of ramping up my goal steps per day based on the previous day's average. And it's also doing a good job of dropping that goal back down when I forget to wear the device for a few days in a row and it assumes that I've been hitting the couch pretty hardcore for the last few days. So the algorithms are coming along, but we don't quite have a coach on our wrists or in our pockets just yet. And until that happens, I implore you, don't be one of those people who passively hopes that by simply wearing yoga pants and buying a Peloton bike and constantly wearing a heart rate strap, that somehow you're going to get six-pack abs or be on the podium in your age group at the next local 10k race. Instead, seize the opportunity at this time when these devices are rampant and use them to educate yourself and unleash both the coach and the athlete that you know you have hidden inside you. All right, that's it for this time. My name is Brock Armstrong. Thanks for listening to Second Wind Fitness.